you want to lead us in today? New York, New York, a wonderful town. The people ride in a hole in the ground. The Bronx is up and the battery's down. New, New York, York, New York, York, it's a wonderful town. Welcome, listeners, uh, alongside Roscoe. Your lovable sidekick. You're here listening to Booth One. As promised for some time now, we have an interview with the legendary dancer, singer, and genuine shining star in the Broadway firmament, the great... Cheetah Rivera to share with you today, one that's been in the works for a while now, and uh, Roscoe and I are in New York, where in his hotel room, we're recording this intro because we can't get to Cheetah till later in yes. the day. <laughs> so in a little while, we're going to pack all of this up and we're going to send ourselves up to the Carlisle Hotel. Who um, used to live there? Elaine Stritch. And Mike, Mike Nichols, Nichols. Diane Sawyer. Yeah, a lot of people live there. And uh, we're going to interview her in her hotel room coming up in just a few short minutes. This is one I, of the most exciting afternoons of my I, life. I know. I'm very excited. Like, I was going to tell her, and I, this is a sweet, I think. One of the first Broadway albums I bought as a small child with... 14 was the original <laughs> cast album of Bye Bye Birdie. And Bye Bye Birdie has been on my playlist my entire life. Other albums come and go. Bye Bye Birdie's always in my my stack. And she sings beautifully in that show. She does. By the way. She and she's a, got a fantastic number in that show. Could I, I just sing the entire Bye Bye Birdie oh, score? You could just sing. But the Bye Bye here's, here's, here was my insipid thought. If I said I've listened to Bye Bye Birdie 4,000 times, that would not be an exaggeration. I often listen to Bye Bye Birdie while cleaning my apartment and dusting. And when you can't sit and watch TV and you need something in the background. So I wanted to say, Cheetah, I listened to you sing all the time. Do you sit home listening to Cheetah Rivera albums? <laughs> I don't think she sits home listening to Roscoe albums. Please don't ask her that. Yeah. I Cheetah, what do you listen to while you're vacuuming? Do you sashay and sway and dust in rhythm when you're listening to Bye Bye Birdie at home? Sometimes. And, and when I'm feeling uh, really ambulatory, I will dance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the downstairs neighbors enjoy that tremendously. Yes. I think we should talk about how, we, how this happened, that we get to see Cheetah. I lacked direct access to her, I must confess, but you have a friend who's a friend of Cheetah's. G good point. I, I, and this is a, this is a good shout out. Uh, I have a, a very good friend named Robbie Young, who lives here in New York. Robbie and I were stage managers together on the national tour of Phantom of the Opera for a while. Robbie also, earlier in his career, stage managed the national tour of Kiss of the Spider Woman, starring... Cheetah Rivera. And they became extremely close friends. A few months ago, when Robbie and his friends were listening to our Booth One podcasts and enjoying them immensely, he just offhandly said... I wonder if I can get you access to Cheetah. <laughs> well, I about fell out of my chair, and then I called you and said, do you think you would like to have access to Cheetah Rivera for an interview? And after you dropped the phone and revived yourself a few minutes later, we decided to kind of go for it. And uh, he approached her and her personal assistant, who's kind of the gatekeeper mm -hmm. on Cheetah's life. And we sent them a couple of episodes that we were particularly proud of. Not that we're not proud of all of our children. I'm proud of all 
Yes, I, lo- I love all of my children equally. So we sent a, a couple of examples of shows that had interviews in them so that she could get a taste of kind of what we did. And well, lo and behold, the next thing I know is we're getting an okay, thumbs up, approval. Now let's pick a date. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we did. We picked a date that corresponded around her appearance at the Cafe Carlisle. So that all worked out great. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We're so looking forward to chatting with her this afternoon. And the engagement's all sold out. So booth one, booth one. Double booth one. We're going to get to Cheetah in just uh, a little while. A few items of interest, some other things that came up while we've been here in New York that uh, happened in the news. I, I can't, you know, go a day without mentioning this. My girlfriend, Carly Fiorina, <laughs> just will not disappear. She has now been announced as Ted Cruz running mate. If you haven't heard that before now, you must be living under a rock somewhere. And and, and she was chosen because she's a job creator who laid off 30,000 people from Hewlett Packard. That's just Hewlett Packard. I did a little research on this because John Boehner, former Speaker of the House, called Ted Cruz Lucifer incarnate on one little interview he gave the other day. Are you aware that Lucifer's consort, sometime female aspect, is called Lilith, Queen of the Damned? <laughs> really? So I'm going to call her Carly Lilith Fiorina from now Wow. <laughs> she is the consort of Lucifer. It is said Lilith comes from the mud and the dust and is queen of the succubi. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Queen of the Succubi and when, Vote for Carly Buttons And when Lucifer and Lilith mate They equal the androgynous being Known as the Goat of Mendez <laughs> <laughs> Also called the God of Witches You, not you can't make it up She just will not disappear God help us It's unbelievable She's like Teflon <laughs> Carly Lilith Fiorina Back in the news everybody We're having one heck of a trip here to New York City. We've seen some wonderful shows, and we've just had just the greatest time as our lead-up to the Cheetah interview this afternoon, and that's the... Well, that's certainly the highlight of our trip, and, and I, I'm, I'm shaking. I'm still I'm, kind of I'm, nervous about I'm it. I'm very excited about it. You seem excited about I'm it. I'm excited. I'm trying not to be nervous. I'm a little thrilled. It's not like I haven't consorted with other celebrities before. I guess consort is the wrong word. I'm not consorting with her. <laughs> I'm talking to her. It'll be awesome when she first walks into the room, won't it? Yeah, but it, it's been a heady trip. I, Jacques, I have <gasps> to call you on something. Oh. My producer and I went to see Stephen Karam's The Humans. Now, we've covered The Humans before when you were last on a New York trip and you went to the show and you had not fully kind things to say about the... You're going to expose me as a fraud and a hoax, aren't you? A poseur, I think. A poseur. This is when you ran into Stephen Karam, the playwright, outside the theater after the show and expressed to him that, hmm, you didn't really get the ending. Well, well, Jacques Hughes, <laughs> I, I just threw my, I just dropped my mic and threw my pen. You're throwing right Because I wanted, I wanted to stab you. Here's what happened. What happened? I loved the humans. I thought the writing was great. I was on the edge of my seat. The ending comes. I didn't understand it. And so I went up to Mr. Karam at the end of the play and I said, Great show. I loved your earlier show, uh, Sons of the Prophet. Uh, great, great, great. Gotta tell you, I didn't understand the ending. 
And he said, that's really good feedback. He also said, it's only our fourth preview. So thank you for coming early. We have a lot of work to do. And then apparently he went back to rehearsals and said, I met the famous Roscoe from Booth One. He didn't understand the ending, so we have to fix it because the ending you saw was different than the ending I saw. You're right. I may have to take back my Jacques Hughes moment. The ending, as I saw it and explained it to you, was dramatically different than the ending that you saw. And in the reviews, it described the ending as you saw it. But they've completely redone it. It's now at the Helen Hayes Theater. Beautiful little space, by the way. I love seeing shows at the Helen I mean, Hayes. Have they cleaned it up? It was kind of shabby the last time I was there. It's, it's, it's mildly shabby, but mm. it's kind of Helen Hazy shabby, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just like my apartment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, we enjoyed the heck out of that play. The acting was superlative from top to bottom. The staging by Joe Montello and his direction of the entire piece was just thrilling. We laughed, we cried. It was, it was extremely moving and a great, great time. I think I have to eat crow about something because on, when I saw it off Broadway and we knew that it was moving to the Helen Hayes, I said, oh, who's going to see that on Broadway with no stars? Well, I think it's been on Broadway for three or four months now. I believe it has. And, and packed. Uh, I, I love this play. I kind of have to thank you for steering me in the direction to want to see it in the first place. I believe that immediately after you saw the show, you said, I'm going to eviscerate you. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I said, he knows nothing of the American theater. I, know, I don't. <laughs> Speaking of American theater and America in general, we were lucky enough to get a sort of booth one experience just a couple of days ago. I hope all of our audience members are sitting down. We arrived in New York with no theater tickets in hand. We didn't know what we were going to see. We had attempted to get some house seats or something for Hamilton. Which is the hottest ticket in probably the history of the American theater. Which most of our listeners will probably know. And if you don't know, well, just go look it up because it is a phenomenon. Well, we were unsuccessful. It's Tony voter time. And the producers are hanging on to a lot of their extra seats, their house seats, because they give them to the Tony voters. Plus, every celebrity in America wants to get in to see the show. So we went to New York, sort of licking our wounds, thinking we'll never, ever, ever get into it. We're going to have to crawl into it here in Chicago at some point. Lo and behold, I know someone who knew somebody who knows someone. And they found out that I was coming for five or six days. Well, through one machination and another, we got tickets to see Hamilton. And boy, it's everything they say it is and more. And more. I don't even really know how to describe the experience. In my opinion, if you see this show, you'll say to yourself, I will never see a better musical. I've never seen a better musical, and I'll never see a better one. I, 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 I can't imagine. Yeah. Not that it's the greatest thing since manna fell from heaven, but you'll never see anything as good as this again. 
That's my opinion. I don't think manna fell from heaven. I think manna grew on plants. No, manna fell from heaven. Manna from heaven. You know that expression? Manna from heaven. Oh, you're right. I'm going to send this to Sister Helen. (laughs) Roscoe doesn't know his Old Testament. (laughs) Let's make a list of things I don't know anything about. (laughs) Dating. (laughs) How to hold a job. (laughs) How to balance a checkbook. (laughs) You want to jump to the New Testament and show us your knowledge of that? (laughs) Yes. We were only able to get two tickets to Hamilton, and so you and our producer had a fist fight in the middle of Ninth Avenue. It was more of a wrestling match, I think, to see who would accompany me to Hamilton because we couldn't beg, borrow, or steal a third ticket. You unfortunately won, but it's my opinion as the official judge of the matter that she kind of let you win. I I think she did. Yeah, because you couldn't beat up a fly. No, no. Because you're the nicest person. In the <laughs> I'm the world. nicest person in the world. She was gracious in defeat, I must say. Yeah, my heart is still pounding from having seen that show, and uh, I will never forget some of the vivid images um, in it, and can't wait to see it again. And I'm in the same boat now. You say, it's great, it's wonderful. I I can't even describe it. There's such a synthesis between the score, the music, the book. The book is minimal. It's a lot of music. The design, the lighting, the staging, it's all part of a piece, and it's all seamless. And I am not a fan of rap music or hip-hop, so I had some apprehension about that. Lin-Manuel Miranda is a genius. The, The genius of that writing... And to, take, to be historically accurate throughout all, all of the story and the, the rhymes he comes up with and the way of telling the story, the point of attack. And it's also worth saying, the sound design is beautiful. I heard every word. Every word. I never struggled. The, the cast is... Um, and we were not it. that close to the stage. We were about Shh, pretty far away. Don't tell them that. We're booth one. I realize that, but we were in. We were in the fifth row center in my mind. Oh, yes, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) It's virtually sold out, literally sold out. It is sold out. You can't get a ticket until January of 2017. I know someone who is an important journalist. She can't pull any strings to get in. And she said she and her husband gave up and just bought seats to see it in September, which is months from now. Well, we certainly got lucky. Yes. But... What did I say? One of the things Booth One is all about is timing. Timing. Being in the right place at the right time and keeping your options open. And you'd be surprised at who you get to rub shoulders with or what you get to see. And I would add to that having a remarkable sense of entitlement. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to New York. Why shouldn't I see Hamilton? We don't want to be late for our Cheetah interview. And we've got to get uptown to the Upper East Side. I wanted to give our listeners a little bit of background on uh, Miss Cheetah Rivera for some of those who may not know her as well as we do or, or know of her accomplishments. Cheetah Rivera was born Dolores Conchita Figueroa del Rivero in uh, the District of Columbia uh, in uh, 1933. Yes, that makes her 83 years old, and she's not shy about that. Mm-mm. An accomplished and versatile actress singer dancer uh, Miss Rivera has won two Tony Awards can you name those Roscoe yes she won Tony Awards for the rink in 1984 and then for kiss of the spider woman in 1993 and she's received an additional eight mm-hmm. 
Tony nominations. Ten, ten nominations total. She recently starred in The Visit on Broadway, um, the John Kander and Fred Ebb slash Terrence McNally musical, directed by John Doyle and choreographed by Cheetah's great friend, Graziella Danielle. As she also appeared in the Broadway and Turing productions of The Dancer's Life, a dazzling musical celebration of her spectacular career, also written by her good friend, Terrence McNally. She was in Nine with Antonio Banderas. Which I saw uh, she trained as a ballerina from age 11 in a school in Washington, D.C., before receiving a scholarship to the School of American Ballet from the legendary George Balanchine. And Cheetah's first appearance at age 17 as a principal dancer was in the road company of Call Me Madam. I believe she went to that audition for Call Me Madam because she accompanied a friend mm-hmm. who was nervous about it, and she was going and said, oh, Cheetah, come along. Oh, well, all right, I don't really do that kind of thing, but I will. And Cheetah got the part. Right. <laughs> and I think Elaine Stritch played the Ethel Merman role, Pearl Mesto. Indeed. Her electric performance as Anita in the original Broadway premiere of West Side Story brought her instant stardom. She also reprised that role in London. Her career is highlighted by starring roles in, as previously said, Bye Bye Birdie, The Rink, which she won the Tony Award for, Chicago, Jerry's Girls, Kiss of the Spider Woman, another Tony, and the original Broadway casts of Guys and Dolls, Can Can, Seventh Heaven, and Mr. Wonderful. Mm, with Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> Indeed. Cheetah was awarded the, this is fantastic. This may be the highlight of a stellar career. Cheetah was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama in 2009, and she received the coveted Kennedy Center honor in 2002 and is the very first Hispanic woman ever chosen to receive this award. She probably has that displayed in front of her Tonys. <laughs> yes. I, would be, I would be immensely proud. Maybe she'll be wearing it today. As she herself is noted as saying, her most treasured production, however, is her daughter, the singer-dancer-choreographer Lisa Mordente. We're going to pack all of this up. Here I am packing it up because yes. I'm all nervous. <laughs> we have to pack up all of our stuff and ship it up to the Carlisle Hotel, where we'll be interviewing Cheetah Rivera momentarily. Momentarily. Stand by for that. Taxi! <laughs> Cheetah Rivera, welcome to Booth One. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank we're, you. It's nice to be in Booth One. <laughs> <laughs> May I have you ever sat in the Booth One at the pump room at the Ambassador East Hotel in Chicago, which is what oh our show gosh. is named after? That's fabulous. I love that hotel. Yeah. It's, yeah, many great memories. It's called the hotel. public now, but the, they still have the pump room and they still have a booth. And the original Booth One is now in the Chicago Museum, History the Chicago Museum. Chicago History Museum. Oh. You're here doing your debut at the Cafe Carlisle, um, right. and you're doing uh, your show, My Favorite Songs, an evening of my favorite songs. L- let me start by asking you, what constitutes a favorite song of yours? How did you, what's the it, criteria? How did you nail these down for I your act? Oh, I can't, I mean, this is hardly all of the songs that really mean something to me. I mean, I just, I had to pick out a title. Okay, so <laughs> I came up with that one. <laughs> What can I tell you? They're great. I, I hear you're doing some Jacques Brel. Yeah. I mean, there's, music is music. Music is universal. Music is amazing. Lyrics are fantastic. And I've worked with some of the greatest ever. And so I sing those songs. And what makes them important? What they have to say. 
and how they make me feel. Dance is universal as well, and you started as a dancer. I wanted to ask you about your first uh, place of studying um, in your hometown of Washington, D.C., at the Jones Haywood School. You, you right. studied there uh, with Doris Jones, and she was a huge impact on your life. Right. Not just while you were dancing and coming up in the business, but even the lessons that she taught you through life, getting through your your auto accident um, right. some time ago. Can you tell us a little bit about Doris? Well, Miss Jones, I broke, I mean, everybody's heard all these stories, so, but I try to make them a little more interesting yeah, without, us, without lying. Tell us one know. no one's heard. Oh, everybody's heard everything except yesterday. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but uh, actually, Miss Jones was a, a remarkable woman, a ballet teacher, a black woman from Boston. Yeah. And uh, she decided to open up this school in her house. And I was breaking up all the furniture in my house So as a kid. So my mother wisely decided to put me away. <laughs> and uh, the away was the ballet school. And uh, it really, it saved not just the furniture, but it, um, it focused me. It focused my energy. And, and I had no idea that I you know, wanted to dance, even though we were a musical family. And it just channeled all the right, you know, things in the right direction. So I stayed there for a few years, and then Miss Jones had someone from New York City Ballet come to the school, and two of us were picked for scholarships. And that's how it got And the rest started. is history, as they yeah, say. Yeah, that's how the pages started to turn. If there was a one role that you could play for the rest of your life... Oh, are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Is there one that no. you would choose? Really? God. I mean, don't you wake up every day just a little different? I mean, it's like saying, could you eat Chinese food your whole life? Your entire life. Could you eat Chinese food I, I could eat Thai life? food my entire life. Your entire life. Well, only if I you lived in China. Miss you look... Latin or Italian or something. You would not miss pasta or rice and beans. All right, I'm making stories up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm lying. It's, All right, I'm lying. lying. <laughs> but uh, but I'm, I'm a big lover of Thai food. So you enjoy the variety of oh all my the gosh. things you've done. And besides, it's a, it's, it, it's a great discovery about who you are and how you're learning and how you change every day for hopefully the better. So you discover an awful lot about yourself by doing, by meeting new people, by you know, meeting the geniuses that I've been fortunate enough to work with, and, you know, by watching your children grow. And, right. I mean, all, all sorts of things. It's a, it, it, it doesn't have to be boring unless you're boring yourself. How do you keep yourself in fantastic shape? pray. At this point in my life, I pray. <laughs> Wait, I'm writing that down because I'm not in such good shape. Prayer. Prayer is the answer. Prayer. Ask pray, God pray. to help. Ask for help. Well, because certainly doing eight shows a week is difficult enough. And you were just in The Visit most right. recently on Broadway. Right. That yeah. must have been, you know, it's grueling. I, I've done it's Broadway. It's grueling, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm so used to it, you know, and it's really what I sort of need if I have... I'm doing six here, and that's good. It's just what I want to do Here at the right Car now, at Cafe the Carlisle. Carlisle. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, because it's a whole different thing. You know, the audience is on the stage. I mean, they're in your face. 
And so six is just fine. But I, I love what I'm used to. My body's used to it. My spirit is used to it. You just have to keep in shape. You just got to keep that heart beating and those muscles nice and oiled because you lose that liquid the older you get. <laughs> I guess and, you do. It starts leaking from places you never thought about. Oh, does it ever about. leak? And then some car comes and knocks some crap out of you and you go... <laughs> Go to hell. Yeah. You know, and then you, you got to make sure you appreciate what you're doing, love it, and um, you really have to have a sense of humor. you got to laugh. If you don't laugh through this life, uh, you'll never get through it. Well, as I mentioned, our, our mutual friend, Robbie Young. Robbie Young. One of the great laughers. He He's one of the funniest people Please. I know. And it's always a delight to have him around. I, I oh, worked, my God. I worked with them on a show, and... Love to have him backstage. <laughs> Just kept everything light. Well, Robbie was and- crazy. I mean, we 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 were at the Schubert in Crazy Good um, in Philadelphia, and there were some flowers at the stage door for me. And but there was a stage doorman, and Robbie got the message from the doorman, came to my room, and said, "Chita, the doorman just told me that please please say flower patita." I said, what does that mean? He said, the man said, flowers, papita, patita. <laughs> I said, that meant flowers for Gina. I don't think I've ever heard anybody in Philadelphia. So, so he is blah, patita. From, so when you go, when you go and you see him the next time, just say flowers. Well, we'll see him tonight. He's coming to say the show. Say flowers, patita. Oh. Oh, he's coming here? He is. He and Rob are coming to the show with us tonight. <laughs> We're all sitting probably very close to you. Oh, please, anywhere you sit in that room is close to me. We'll, try to, we'll try to cheer and clap I'll try loudly. not to step in your martini. I want to ask about Doris Jones again, because I was doing some research, and she not only trained you to dance, but she taught you some life lessons. And and you said that when you had your accident, you really turned to things that she had told you or talked to you about. Well, I think think your parents, I think teachers, that's their job. It affects your entire life, how you're taught, so that when something happens... Your automatic, you, you know, your uh, what happens that you, you know, if you're out, say for instance, you just automatically do the right things or think the right things if your teachers have taught you the right things. So uh, immediately when I was told by the uh, person that took the x-rays that I had really done a good job on myself, uh, I knew she was very serious. I mean, she was actually saying, you really hurt yourself badly. So... Um, what are you going to do about it? Well, immediately I felt my mind and my body shift gears. And I, I went, okay. And I actually saw the, the, the shifting of the gear. And I went, okay, well, now, now we have to do something about this. And so that's when I started to, you know, go on the, the alternative road. And that was get up, fight. Well, that great song from Sweet Charity, Get Up, Get Out and Do It. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that kind of training or teaching in order to survive. These kids that have no support at all from their home or their school or they're being bullied or something like that, they have to hopefully have some fundamental things that they can call on to help make them stronger and to get through whatever it is they have to get through. 
I wanted to ask you just briefly about your experience on West Side Story and Jerome Robbins. Was he the kind of director, choreographer, taskmaster <laughs> that allowed you much freedom in creating your dances or your <laughs> character, or, or was it very, very regimented? Was it, it very regimented, really? and that's what it has to be. I think um, John Doyle was our director in the in the visit. He's very much like that too, except you think you're having a little more freedom, but <laughs> <clears throat> if you look very closely and listen very astutely to the tone of his voice, you know you better do what he tells you. Now. The great thing is that, because dancers aren't really meant to do what they do, people aren't meant to, you know, turn themselves inside. I run, as I say in the show, run up the wall, do a backflip into a split. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, and smile all the while, and smile and say it was nothing. Ta-da! So, right. <laughs> so it's that's that foundation again that happens when you have good training. So no, you if you do exactly what a person like a genius like. Jerome Robbins tells you to do. If he told me to jump off a 10-story building, I mean, I that's exaggeration, but I and land on my left foot taking two other steps beyond that. I would know that he knows it, he's done it, and I would trust it. Mm. You have to have trust in the world. You have to have your mind, but you have to have some trust. Well, it does help to work with people you trust as well. Well, I've had a lifetime of it. I, I mean, you've been very fortunate. Wow. Blessed. Indeed. Have you worked with people that you were less than trustworthy of? Sure. Yeah. No names. (laughs) No, no, no. no. (laughs) We we don't, we don't. I've made it this long. (laughs) (laughs) You've you've touched on this just a little bit, Cheetah, already, but after 60 years in show business, and I I don't mean to emphasize that too much, but it's worth noting. It's already flying around the hotel. uh, I think some people are aware of it. What, what keeps you motivated in the business? I mean, you don't have to do six shows at the Cafe Carlisle. No, but I, I was born to do what I love. Uh, that's what I tell the kids. Follow your heart. If you really want to do it, then you should do it. If you have something to say, if you want to communicate, if you love their energy, if you love making them feel good, it makes you feel good. I, I still have a lot to say. I have... I, I never dreamed that that I would meet the cast of The Visit and work with Graziella Danielle again, as I did in that show, and, of course, Kander and Ebb. I mean, how you, why would you turn down anything that any of those people asked you to do? No, I have to go... I have to go to New Jersey. I have <laughs> Sorry. an appointment. And, and you so were, I won't do that. I won't you worked with her for years and years. Oh, my. She's my soul, soul sister. Mm-hmm. She really is. So. Is there anybody you haven't worked with yet that you're... I'm sure. Um, that you'd love to work with? I mean, I'm sure there, there are plenty. There are many, many gifted people. But I am a person that does what she is asked to do, believes that the opportunity that's in front of her whether it's, you don't find out whether it's good or bad until you're in it or out of it. But I believe that even the bad is good because it's a lesson to be learned. 
as you can see, I'm a positive person because yeah. I don't like being mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm good. not very nice, and I'm not pretty at all. But I mean, so I try not to uh, pull that girl. I've up. heard one or two stories, but I won't share oh, them. Oh, tell! <laughs> I can't. I, I have can't. a tendency no, to forget. No, no, no. A lot of times they lie. Yeah. Well, Robbie probably exaggerates. Well, he, yes, he, he does. Yeah, exaggerate. that's part of what he does. You. But he does it with humor. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about him makes me laugh. <laughs> we'll see him tonight. You strike me, and you've mentioned this already, that of someone who loves different experiences, yep. loves to meet different people right. as often as possible, loves to work with different people. And so I would assume that you're someone who loves to travel. I do. I do. Did you enjoy I being on the road? I also love my home. I also love my home and my family and my daughter and my animals. I mean, I've got two huge bull mastiffs. And, um, really? Oh, they must be almost they, your size. They are. They're heavier than I am. One is definitely. One is a ninety-eight pounds. The other one's a hundred and twenty-eight. Oh my so lord! So don't fool around. No, no. <laughs> well, and and because I know where you and live. don't go to Cheetah's house <laughs> unannounced. Unannounced. Be, be nice to what are their names? T Bone. <laughs> and Graziella and oh. she, she was named after Graziella, Graziella Danielle yeah. she's a wonderful choreographer oh, she's and, a, and a, she's such an, a marvelous person uh, as you've well. met her I have That's great. I have she's yeah. abs- she is a uh, soul mother uh, did you enjoy being on tour when you were absolutely out on loved it Lisa was grown and uh, I, and when mother was alive, and you know, and to be able to share all of this stuff is really good because because you go to some terrific places, and there are a lot of phenomenal theaters across this country, phenomenal. And so I would mother would come, you know, or my brothers and sisters would come at different times if there was a town they wanted to go to. So it's always interesting. There. Are Couple of places that you know, you say, "Oh, hello, goodbye." Well, you know. <laughs> Des Moines in the middle of winter, for uh, instance, exactly. Not the greatest no, place. Exactly. What would be your ideal <clears throat> vacation spot? Oh, I or do you I have one? It. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, oh where, do you, where do you go? Absolutely. I have gone here since 1959 or 60. Um, Positano, Italy. It is, you fly to Naples, and then you take the Amalfi Drive all the way around, going south, and there's this town in the mountains called Positano, and it is absolutely glorious, and I've been going since that that time. I'm going in September. I went last year. I just love it. I love the food. I love... The you know the mountains, I, the, the sea is right there. I assume it's a small town, and the people oh, all oh, absolutely. know each other I mean, and they I, know you. Absolutely, I I know the fella at the bottom of the mountain that sells the shoes because he was thirteen <laughs> when I went there the first time with Lisa. You know, the, and so it was. It's that's just an extraordinary place. I particularly love, oh. but I love a lot of places. I love Japan. I love England. I love Oh, you've spent a lot of time in, in, in England, in London, especially. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Love it. Did you have a favorite dancing partner in your career? I know you've had many, many partners, and you've danced with a number of people in line. Did you have a favorite partner who, at times, you felt you were actually one person Oh, dancing? no, I've had that on several occasions. Mm-hmm. I've had really great guys that have been in my act. Uh, Jimmy Mitchell, who used to be 
in SAB or one of the ballet companies years ago. But he was on a, a soap opera. But he was a beautiful dancer. He was an Agnes de Mille dancer uh, and ballet. But my guys, I mean, Richard Amaro, Richard Montoya, Robert Montano, these are guys that I, I move with and we all feel like it's one. In your, in your in sort my, of in your club, club acts. Act. Yeah. 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 And you've yeah. done a number of club acts. This isn't just the only one that you've ever done. This no, is my I mean, when, when Fosse um, had a heart attack, at uh, the rehearsal, the very first rehearsal of Chicago, we were let go for lunch, for lunch. We came back, and Gwen was in the room, and they asked Gwen to come out. And we knew something was wrong. Well, to make a long story short, he had had the heart attack while we had lunch. So Fred Ebb and John Canner and Ron Field, brilliant uh, choreographer, um, said, let's do a club act. And I went, oh, no, I can't do that. I mean, I, don't, I can't talk to an audience as me. I can talk to an audience as a character, but not Gita. Freddie said, I'll write what you have to say. Oh. Let's make this. Wow. And so that's exactly what they did. And that act, <laughs> I mean, I'm still doing things from that time in different ways, but I'm still doing it because... You don't throw out the material that I've been lo- so lucky to, to have done. So you, you, you give it a little facelift or you change some colors and, and some different dialogue. And uh, so since 30-some years ago, yeah. I've been, you know, they gave me another career. Did Chicago then, did you go on hiatus? Yeah, it- yeah. And, you know, I've really got to find out exactly how much time we were gone. Uh, because I've been asked so many times, and then I leave the room and I forget, <laughs> um, forget to find out. But it, it had to have been six months at least, or wow. something. Because it know. opened in the spring of '75, if I'm remembering right. Okay. <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. And then I saw you in Chicago, <laughs> in Chicago, in Chicago at the Blackstone Theater, right? Which yeah. was thrilling. Yeah. Gwen. Did, was there did you? Did, yes, it was all of you. Gwen and Jerry. And Orbach. Jerry was there, right? And they actually had had. Two other people playing those roles, but uh, we felt a little bad because they wanted. We were going from Chicago to L.A., and they wanted us in by uh, L.A. So the girls were very good about it, though. Your your performance in the visit, the visit was rather a dramatic piece. Very very rather, serious. I think you can cut that. <laughs> <laughs> you look scared even now. I'll take it out in the editing. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> in your, it was, you know, a love story, even was. though you may not, you know, have thought it, but oh, it was wow. really a love story. In your long and illustrious career, did you ever want to do more straight play work, more dramatic roles? Because you strike me as someone who could easily have moved yeah, into that. Uh, I did, but it was a time when the the theater pieces were just i mean every theater was full there were great musicals so i just never stopped working and and it was all musicals all great musicals you know the julie steins the Cy Coleman's, all the really great composers so the only thing that i remember terence mcnally asked me if i would do masterclass that's the only one i'm sorry I didn't do. 
Wow. But then I, I did a musical instead, you know. But I'm really sorry that I didn't do that one. It's not too late. No, it's not. <laughs> not at all. No. Not, not for that play. Yeah, not for that play. Oh, you'd be marvelous in that. I'd love to see you yeah. in that. Yeah, you mentioned your, you. you mentioned your house. You love your house love and your house. dogs and your family. And I imagine that you could probably have anything you wanted out at your house. Mm. We've asked this question of many guests before, and I'm always intrigued by the answer. Um, if you could have one thing delivered to your doorstep every single day, no matter where you are in the world or what you're doing, like the newspaper or milk is delivered, is there something that you would love to have (laughs) in your hands every morning? Oh, my goodness. What a great question. Well, outside of the newspapers, I, 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 gosh. We, we talked to a senior staff writer of the New York Times once on our program, uh, and she had a surprising what? answer, which we had no idea about. She said, I would like spinning fiber delivered to my home, raw spinning fiber. As it turns out, she has a spinning wheel in her home, and she makes her own yarn. Wow. In as, order to, as a way of relaxing. As a, and that's just not thinking. I'll, wow. just, just I'll just sit here and spin my wheel and make yarn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I needlepoint and all of that, but I, I really, honestly, what I, I, I'm going to turn it around now. What would you have? Well, I've answered this question before. My, my initial answer, without even thinking about it, was a box of cannolis. Because <laughs> you know, really good ones are hard to find. And if I, I, I can have so, one for breakfast, but I don't want to sit on them. I I don't want to see them later. That's why I'm <laughs> oh, no. I see. It would not be cannolis. And what about you? Oh boy! Wow. Yeah, what we've never I... asked that question You've of you, Roscoe. You've never asked that question of me. It's, it's wild. Hot breakfast. A hot oh, breakfast. A hot, hot breakfast, breakfast that I didn't have to cook myself. And the dishes would magically but Thai disappear. breakfast. I would have a Thai breakfast. A hot Thai breakfast. I would have a hot Thai breakfast, <laughs> and I would say, "I'm going to call Cheetah Rivera right now and tell her that I'm, I'm having, having I'm having a Thai omelet for breakfast." We also had on our program a young actress, just up and coming. She's 19 years old. She was at the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, okay. um, doing a play, and we saw the play, and we wanted to talk to someone from the cast, so we had her. Her name is Melanie Nealon, and she's a dancer and an actress and again very young up and coming 19 19 she's done a couple of independent films and we were talking to her and somehow we got around to i'm not kidding you cheetah your name comes up virtually in every third podcast for whatever reason we talk about show business or we wow. talk about the world and you're wow. so this is as long real. as they don't <laughs> this is a real so snotty <laughs> I, was, I, I i love to make jokes and Sometimes I can get into trouble. Well, you go right no, ahead, because again, I can edit those out, and, and our <laughs> listeners love to hear this stuff. Anyway, your name came up, and she said, I love Cheetah. I love Cheetah. And then she started singing a song, a Kander and Ebb song that I believe might have been written for you. Why don't they mention the pain? Oh, right. <laughs> You've done Ooh, that number. They, oh, everybody wanted that number. Bette Midler, no, she wanted Trash. It was a great number called Trash. But... Why don't they mention the pain? It's, it's, it's a dancer's thing. And it was staged just so funny. And it was done on crutches, the whole number. Oh, really? It was done oh, on crutches. Brilliant. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I'd remember it, but why don't they mention the pain? Why don't they mention the terrible aches, the crack of the bone at the moment it breaks? Yes, why don't indeed. they mention the pain? You know, there's a, there's a version of you doing that on the Merv Griffin show. <laughs> 
<laughs> on YouTube. Really? Yeah, you should go to YouTube. And it's the whole number. You do it with two, oh my God, that's with two right. men. Two guys. Those two are, ba- those you have are three the... stools and you that's have crutches right. on stage that you use later in the act. She would be thrilled to uh, know that we're talking to you, and I oh. hope she listens to this yeah. broadcast. Hi. You've touched on a cut. Yeah. Hi, oh. Hi I, Melanie. <laughs> you also do a fantastic. Well, it's not really an imitation, but you do Gwen Verdon very well, don't you? Well, oh yeah, all you have to do <laughs> is just make your voice shake. That's all. She has this wonderful little quiver. <laughs> so cute, <laughs> but it matches with her. It's adorable. I just look crazy. <laughs> uh, she, you know, I read something about her. She had to have surgery twice because she inhaled feathers from her boas. I didn't know that it was twice, but for sure she... Um, did you ever have anything like that happen to you? No, you, thank God. Something crazy no. happened on stage? And I did stage? that. Uh, well, first, let me just say that, that it happened in charity for her because she was... One of the funny scenes is she's in the closet. She's hiding, and there's a boa, and the feathers were loose, and it actually got down her throat. She could have died, really. And she had to have some sort of surgical they had to, procedure. They had or... to remo- literally remove a feather from her lungs. lungs. She had, yeah, she had to leave the show for a bit. Let's talk about that. Your work ethic. You don't miss shows. I try not to. I, I don't enjoy it. No, I mean, I really kind of have to be, uh, you know, on the... on the. If, if I'm going to a Cheetah Rivera musical, I want to see Cheetah Rivera. Well, if I've signed a contract... Then I've signed it. You know. Next to the word trooper in the dictionary yeah. is a picture of yeah. Cheetah. She's a, she's a, a rock. Robbie was telling us as well <laughs> about the fact that you don't miss shows Try unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. And that kind of attitude pervades the rest of the company. It's yes. been his experience that <laughs> on shows that you're in, no one else called in either. That, yeah, because, I mean, even in rehearsals, it's pretty funny. I mean, I'm like, so much older than they are. And they, you know, come up with limping and they've hurt their ankle and they're tired. And and I I go, really? Food poisoning. Food poisoning. That's a famous one. Just go to the bathroom and come right back. (laughs) But, but, you know, I've been in, we've been in New York a couple of days on this trip. There were two different times I tried to go to a show and and the Mm. leads were out. And one day I was walking down the street and I, there's a line of people down the block at quarter till nine. And I said to the usher, didn't the show start 45 minutes ago? And he said, yes, but mm, is out of the show. So these are all these people trying to get the refunds or exchange tickets. What but, can you say? But yeah. not when I see a Cheetah Rivera show. Well, un- unless I'm sick. And I have, really I have been. Yeah, I mean, it, to a point where if I were... Not feeling well, you would not get what I was trying to tell you as far as the script and the lyrics are concerned. But, you know, I, I, I don't know who it was that started kids being able to take a week off or something for a vacation or something, and they just got in the show. I mean, it, you know, I don't get it. I mean, if this is what you do, this is what you love to do, then why aren't you doing it? You know? What 
words of advice, and you've mentioned a few of them along the way during our, our chat here today, what words of advice would you possibly give to a young dancer who's just starting out, just off the bus from the Midwest, <laughs> wanting to make it big on Broadway? Because there still are people like that. <laughs> there are, you know, but the sad thing about it, and don't forget what you're going to say, the sad thing about it is that that's 42nd Street, you know, that wonderful show. The sad part about it is that when the stars in Hollywood are not having a film, they'll come here and they'll get a show for three months or something like that. Where is the kid that just got off the bus and a producer gives that kid a chance? Where are the Shirley MacLaine's and the Carol Haney's, you know, that that had to go on, you know, and yeah. then became stars? But uh, it, I think that's kind of sad, you know, that it doesn't happen as much anymore because the price of the tickets are so high and people don't like... We're educating the audience in, a, in the wrong way. Instead of stimulating them with new talent, they want to see somebody they've seen in a movie or they've seen on TV or something like that. So I got that off my chest, didn't yeah, I? Yes, God, you did. I feel yes. better. <laughs> what... <laughs> Do you, do you have just a couple of words of advice for a young mm. dancer like like that? I mean, yeah. I mean, would you say this ain't Forty Second Street, kid? It's not going to happen that way. Or would you say, what would you tell someone if they came to I you would, for advice? I would simply tell them to follow their heart, do exactly what they want to do. Don't let anybody tell them they can't. And until you feel as though you don't want to anymore or you cannot, keep going. And keep yourself in that in the circle so that you're surrounded by everything that you need, like classes and things like that. Just keep that stimulated. But believe that if you really want it, believe you can do it. Just keep going. You get a thick skin that way. That's the only thing I can I can tell him. Did you get a thick skin early yeah, in I your think career? I've got it and well, I've managed no. you know, no. I think I've I've managed with the great help of the geniuses I've worked with that have become friends, uh, I, I, I think I was able to pass that and now show some of my vulnerability, show, you know, some of my, my own self. You don't lose, you try not to lose yourself, but you got to be a fighter. You, you really have to stand up and take the insults if you have to take them. I don't read reviews, so, you know, I protect myself as well as I can. Did you read them once upon a time and then stop? Never. I just never thought that somebody could tell you what you like and what you don't like, unless they were constructive. But I, I always thought the constructive people were the directors and the choreographers and the, and the writers. A reviewer... I'm, I'm really not in it to necessarily make myself feel good any other way than to connect with you and to tell that, that story. I am here at the Carlisle telling my own story, but I'm sharing it. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing some fun stuff that, uh, that ha- happened to me. And um, that's, that's a different thing than telling a story that somebody else has written and being somebody else other than yourself. 
But I tell a story in the um, – you guys don't really have to come tonight because I'm ah. <laughs> talking about it. Well, we already paid for the tickets, oh, so then, we're coming. Oh. Trust me. We'll be there. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> we'll be there. I'm so sorry. Oh, don't be sorry. <laughs> no, we're thrilled. Well, I, I, I constantly say I – Prefer the West Side. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, play "Don't Tell Mama" because <laughs> I, I think, think that's it. a twenty-five dollar cover <laughs> or something like that. And that's exactly what I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely so. Would you say it's harder these days for a dancer to break into the business than it was in your day? Are there less I musicals really, for dancers? I really, honestly, can't say. I feel that it is. Whether I'm accurate or not is something else. But in my, you know, in the golden age, <laughs> there were auditions, two and three hundred people at one audition. And you had to, and they needed eight people, let's say. And you keep, you could come, go to the first audition, you go to the second audition, you go to the third, you know, however many it takes. But you have all of that experience, which is great the more experience the better the, the cake is. <laughs> it's true. The better the, cake. the more you try to, you know, yeah. bake that cake, you keep baking it until yeah. it doesn't do. flop. Yeah. You're going to go on stage in about four and a half hours. So it's a Tuesday night. What do you, what do, you do to prepare yourself? Um, for I'll tonight? go back to the room. I'll have, a, I'll have a very light bite to eat. Then I'll stretch and... Uh, <laughs> I'm getting taller. I really am. It's <laughs> fantastic. I'm going to reach uh, six foot eight sometime. Too. It could be a whole new career for me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Big, tall, lady Don't dancer. give it up. The new gigantic Cheetah Rivera live tonight at the Carlisle. Yes, I just hope it's not this way <laughs> yeah, as opposed no, to yeah. the other way. No, no. But um, anyhow, uh, bite to eat. Um, and um, being here at the at the hotel is kind of nice. I don't like being away from home, you know, for a whole week. But being here keeps me close to what and where where I have to go and what I have to do. I don't run up and down the streets and go shopping at Bloomingdale's and stuff like that. Uh, and I'll probably steam or something like that. We'll see, mm-hmm. you know. But it's vocalize. stretching, vocalize. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, stretch, vocalize, and just be in in the place I'm supposed to be. We're going to let you go and prepare any second now, but I wanted to ask you, (laughs) of the favorite songs in your My Favorite Songs tonight, do you have a favorite song that I should look for? Well, I'd rather you tell me. Yeah, I would rather it be your favorite song. I'm going to decide, and I'm going to tell. I'm going to write to you and say I think this was your favorite song, just as because of the joy of your performance. I have an idea of what I think it might be. Good, we'll we'll test that out tonight. (laughs) You tell Robbie. I I will. He'll probably know it right off the bat. Um, We can tell. Blabadita. I'm going to try to say Blabadita from stage. That would be fantastic. Oh, thank you, Blapadita. You may The show may don't, not go on after him. that. No, I won't tell him. I won't see him until he gets here for dinner. Roscoe, have you had a delightful time with I've, Cheetah? I've had a delightful time. This is kind of surreal. It's it's about the most impressive thing I've done in, in oh years God. and years and years. Yes. I know it doesn't seem so bad. so bad for you guys. Oh, don't feel bad for us. Yeah, we, oh. we have small, quiet lives in Chicago. I, by the way... 
love me some Chicago. Yes. You've Chicago. appeared there on occasion. Uh, not just in legit theaters, but yeah. did you do your, your yeah. act there? Yeah, and we did the visit the very first time. At the, right, at at the, the Goodman, Goodman. Yeah. in uh, 2001, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yes. yes. Yes, it was. It was a longer show then. Different show. Yeah, very different, very different. But I absolutely love everything about the people, uh, the architecture. It's just gorgeous. It's, you know, I'm very happy to be doing this with you. Well, we'd love to have your presence back in our fine town. We love Chicago as well, and that's where we broadcast from. And yeah. we talk about the city a great deal. Good. And all of the people who come and visit. Good. We would love to have you back there anytime whatsoever. Well, Chita. you know, it's nice because, thank you very much. Um, it's nice because I was, my very first show with Elaine Stritch, we were in Chicago. It was on the road. Call so, me madam. Don't call me madam. And so we went through Chicago. And that was when you played a place, you played a theater for a month or definitely two weeks. And so it's, oh, I have very fond memories of Chicago. We'll say howdy to you after the show. <laughs> howdy. <laughs> howdy from Chicago. <laughs> toy, toy, so toy, and toy. mayor. And blah, patita. And blah, patita. Blah, patita. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again. Enjoy. Well, we're back at Roscoe's Hotel with all of our equipment after that amazing, amazing afternoon with the fabulous Cheetah Rivera. It was everything and more that I thought it was going to be. How about you? Oh, yes. <laughs> Especially after we set up and she, we heard her talking in the hallway and there was a little knock on the door and I think our producer opened the door. She was, hi, I'm Cheetah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, yes, yes, you are. I cannot be more thrilled with our interview yeah and her generosity of spirit and openness i could have sat there all day well and i think she could have i mean she had a schedule and i think that if she hadn't i think she lost track of time and was enjoying speaking with us right we'd been given a little timetable by her personal assistant Mm -hmm. and by her when she came in immediately Mm -hmm. she announced that she was going to have to eat something before the show tonight Mm -hmm. and do some stretching and relaxing and her vocal work and so she gave us a bit of a time frame which is why we cut the interview off where we did or ended it as we did Mm -hmm. but you're right i think she could have gone on for another hour and that was that was very generous maybe when she hears this interview she'll be so pleased that She'll want to have his back for part two. Perhaps. Cheetah part dos, we can call it. <laughs> and then she'll thank us because she's, she will be doing playing Maria Callas on Broadway, and it was our idea. And, and who knows? This podcast might make her a star. It might. <laughs> it might. Let's talk about the longevity of her career. She's a contemporary of Elaine Stritch, who's passed away now. She's a contemporary of a million people. Barbara Cook is still... Alive, Sadly, she canceled her recent engagement. But can you think of anyone else who started on Broadway in the early 1950s who is still performing? Angela Lansbury comes to mind, but she, her career really took off in the mid-60s. Am I right? 
her stage career, but she was yeah. nominated for an Oscar when she was 19 her, in 1944. Yeah, her film career her was film career. much longer than that. But that's the only person that really comes to mind at the moment. Yeah, but I could count on one hand, even if I'd had a couple of fingers shot off in World War I, the number of people who've been around as long as Cheetah Rivera and are still... Still an A-list performer, still performing. Well, it was thrilling. And we, we have one more thrilling experience to do with Cheetah. Tonight, we're going to the Cafe Carlisle to hear her club act called An Evening of My Favorite Songs. Yeah. I'm really excited. We, we saw, we saw a, a playlist of what she's going to sing sitting at the hotel room, and we kind of took a snap of that on our phones. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. But now we have an idea of what she's going to be singing. It's a real good retrospective uh, imagining of her career through song, and I'm so looking forward to it. And you don't get much more booth one than the Cafe Carlisle. No, and uh, we're, we've gotten some special treatment in terms of our seats. We're sitting where family would sit if, if she were to invite family members or close, close friends. You know what? I feel like a close, close friend of Cheetah now. I do. I, I do as well. We have to move on and talk about a couple of other things uh, before uh, the end of our episode, and I don't want to run out of time. The Steppenwolf Theater, back in Chicago, where we go quite often, is opening a new space. They are opening something called the 1700 Theater, a a new casual, intimate, and flexible 80-seat space dedicated to showcasing the work of the ensemble and emerging local theater companies. I mention this because one of the first things they're going to be doing is a live podcast festival, and it's going to be called Sounds Like Chicago. That'll be this August. Well, we have submitted Booth One as a possible participant, and we are waiting with crossed fingers and baited breath to get the word that we're in. Uh, that would be uh, tremendous. We'd be recording live from the Steppenwolf Theater. And would summer. we have an audience? They would the be pe- in front of a live audience. We could invite family and friends. Wow. We could invite Cheetah. We could invite Cheetah. <laughs> and my dear tough. friend Cheetah Rivera is here tonight. Wouldn't they go crazy if that happened? That would be fantastic. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, it, it could be a while before we hear. The entire project is being curated and produced by Tyler Green. Tyler uh, produces live Live events for WBEZ in Chicago and for The Moth. He has experience working on the NPR show Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me mm. uh, and hosts a, a great podcast of his own called General Admission. I wanted to move on to our Kiss of Death segment for this wow. week. They called him the Phantom of the Fox. Like his well-known Parisian counterpart, he lived for decades in an ornate metropolitan theater. I think it's something you would enjoy doing. He had intimate knowledge of every light, every rope, every walkway, and every catacomb in his cavernous Eden. Who do you think wrote this? Marguerite Fox. (laughs) (laughs) But unlike the storied figure said to haunt the Paris Opera House, this phantom was real. An ardent, somewhat solitary, supremely gifted man named Joe Patton. Shortly before his death this week at the tender age of 89, Mr. Patton had lived in Rococo Splendor in a sprawling private apartment at the top of Atlanta's historic Fox Theater, the fabulous Fox Theater. Uh, 
Over the course of his long love affair with the Fox, Mr. Patton became a revered figure and a fixture of the city's cultural life as much as the theater itself. He restored its magnificent pipe organ to long-lost glory and twice saved the building from demolition and from a fire in the 1990s. But in the end, Mr. Patton was forced to wage his greatest preservation campaign on his own behalf in old age in a development that may properly be called edible. Oh, Marguerite. He battled eviction at the hands of the very theater he had nurtured <sighs> for so long. The Fox was built originally in the 20s and was intended to be the Shriners Temple. It outlavishes the most lavish American movie palace imaginable. A sultan's fever dream in the middle of midtown Atlanta. It is a quarter million square foot profusion of domes, turrets, minarets, Moorish archways, oriental carpets, lush draperies, Egyptian base relief, fountains, elaborate lighting fixtures, stained glass, gold leaf, tile, and gracious banisters, which it said Mr. Patton in the dead of night would occasionally slide down (laughs) just for the sheer joy of it. And above its more than 4,500 seats, a cobalt ceiling twinkling with crystal stars. Uh, By the time the building did open on Christmas Day in 1929, the stock market crash had made it a prohibitive prospect for the Shriners, so they had to give it up. They had to sell the right to occupy the theater. And it began life as a home to talking pictures. William Fox, the movie mogul, invested in it, and he's the one who eventually ran the place, Mm -hmm. hence the Fox Theater. The Fox was uh, named a National Historic Landmark in 1976. It had been closed for a while and reopened in 1975 after some great work by Mr. Patton. Today it is used for movies, live events like music, dance, and touring Broadway shows. The theater's centerpiece is its vast pipe organ with four keyboards and get this, 3,622 pipes. Lordy Hannah. Some of them more than 30 feet high. It is one of the largest theater organs in the world. Atlantans fondly call it Mighty Mo. (laughs) (laughs) It was the organ that had first drawn Mr. Patton to the Fox, and for more than 35 years, he inhabited an antique-filled duplex apartment beneath the dome of the theater, reached by climbing a cinematically appropriate 39 steps. Wow. (laughs) I thought that was fantastic. From a private entrance on Ponce de Leon Avenue, he wanted nothing more than to leave the fox feet first, dying in the theater as if in the fond embrace of a spouse. Joe Griffin Patton was born on February 9th, 1927 in Lakeland, Florida. And as a boy, he became enraptured by the pipe organ at his church and watched keenly whenever the repairman came to work on it. At 12, he became the repairman's apprentice. After service stateside in the Navy in World War II, Mr. Patton embarked on a career installing X-ray equipment for some of the country's biggest hospitals. While visiting Atlanta in the mid-40s, he was smitten by the Fox, and in particular, by Mighty (laughs) Moe. He moved to the city in the early 1960s. By then, the organ was unplayable, having fallen, like the theater itself, into deep 
disrepair. In 1963, working as a volunteer, Mr. Patton undertook its restoration. In saving the organ, he realized that he ought to save the theater as well. Why, why not? Fairly ambitious. It was then slated for the wrecking ball at that time. So in 1974, he helped found the Atlanta Landmarks, a nonprofit that oversaw the acquisition and multi-million dollar restoration of the Fox. On one occasion, he helped the Rolling Stones give fans the slip by ushering them out a side door and into an ambulance. Wow. On another occasion, he gave a car-mad young comic named Jay Leno a ride in his 1937 Rolls-Royce, fittingly named a Phantom 3, one of some half-dozen classic automobiles to which Mr. Patton ministered tenderly to the end of his life. In December of 79, in recompense for saving or having helped save the Fox, Atlanta Landmarks awarded Mr. Patton lifetime tenancy of its upper floors. So he painstakingly renovated the space, then a derelict storage area. At his own expense, it said about $100,000 he poured into it so that he could have a livable space. He he must have made a lot of money selling x-ray equipment. I would think so. In uh, 1996, Mr. Patton rescued the fox again. After a pre-dawn electrical fire broke out, his profound knowledge of the theater's anatomy, which let him direct firefighters to precisely the right spot from which to attack the flames, was widely credited with having saved the place from burning to the Uh. ground. But in 2010, as his health began to decline, Atlanta Landmarks tried to ease Mr. Patton out of the theater. That year, after he returned from a brief hospital stay, the organization sent him a letter asking him to seek out an assisted living residence. The eviction attempt became an Atlanta cause celeb, with members of the public picketing the fox in support of Mr. Patton. Mr. Patton, then in his 80s, sued for the right to stay in his apartment under the terms of a settlement in 2011. He was allowed to do so, and there he remained until just 10 days before he died. The fate of Mr. Patton's apartment is unknown, so it's available, Roscoe. Wow. <laughs> I'm always looking out for I've real estate I've always for wanted you. to do that. Wouldn't that be amazing? From time to time over the years, Mr. Patton would enter a clandestine passageway in his bedroom and emerge at the foot of the stairway that led to the theater's topmost balcony. There, under the starry blue ceiling, he could watch the onstage dramas unfold. Of all the shows to play the Fox, Mr. Patton said his favorite was a certain Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, the one with the organ and the big chandelier. Wow. Joe Patton, dead at 89, known as the Phantom of the Fox. That's amazing. I could see you doing that. I could see that. We hope you enjoyed Cheetah Rivera. You were magnificent, Roscoe. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. This New York trip is not over yet. We still have a few things to do and see, including, as I mentioned, Cheetah tonight at the Cafe Carlisle. I know, and tomorrow I'm seeing She Loves Me, which we'll report on in the next broadcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next time on Booth One. This is Gary Zabinski and... Roscoe. Signing off. (laughs) Take care, everyone. (laughs) 